Would you bow your heads and go to word of prayer with me? Our gracious, eternal God, we thank you that Jesus called his disciples came in such an uneventful way. Contrary to the wisdom of the world, he did not start with the privileged and the wealthy and the powerful. He did not begin with those who had little need and little desire for change. He began with some very simple folk. He began with some fishermen. We pray that his call, come follow me, might again reverberate through our souls today. May we hear again the challenge to be your disciples. May we hear again the message of those who brings good news. May we hear again the invitation to come to you, all who are weary and heavy laden. May we hear again eternal words of hope, which tell us how ever dark the world becomes, the darkness cannot ever overcome the radiant light of this Holy One, Jesus. May we hear again those simple words, come follow me. And may we come just as we are and know again the depth of your grace and love for us. Give us the power to bring change and transformation to the peoples of the world as did those early fishermen. Give us the power to provide the same kind of a hope for the world weary as they brought to theirs. Give us the vision of a world transformed. We pray for those whose health is constant and major concern. Be especially with those whose health is compromised so much that they have no hope of ever feeling totally well again. For those, we ask that you give courage for the frustrating obstacles of life. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning, as we have done the last couple weeks, we've been looking at an Old Testament text and a New Testament text. So we are looking at Jonah chapter 3 today. You know the story of Jonah. Jonah and the whale, Jonah and the big fish. And Mark chapter 1, let's start with Jonah, chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Listen for a word from the Lord, because I believe when these scriptures are read, that God speaks afresh every single time. So see what sticks out to you in this reading, maybe something you have never picked up on before. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, get up. Go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim it, the message that I tell you. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was exceedingly large city, a three days walk across. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's walk, and he cried out, Forty days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast, and everyone, great and small, put on sackcloth. And now we will jump over to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, 
and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went on a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Yeah. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, I'm grateful that I'm a little under the weather today. Perhaps I might get myself out of the way so that you can do something for once. May that be the case. Amen. Christ has no body but yours, no hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which He looks compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which He walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which He blesses all the world. Yours are the hands, yours are the feet, yours are the eyes, you are His body. Christ has no body now but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which He looks compassion in this world. Christ has no body now on earth but yours. This is attributed to St. Teresa of Avila, one of the great mystics of the church. We don't know if she actually said this or not, but I want you to let that sink in for just a second. Christ has no physical body on earth now but yours is why Paul says you are the body of Christ. Where is Christ right now? I look out and I see Christ sitting in these seats looking back at me. This is where Christ is now in the world. This is one of the deepest mysteries of Christianity. It seems a little strange to say it, but you and I are the body of of Christ. This is extremely important to meditate upon, to contemplate, to remember, to remind yourself every single day. Because after God claimed you in your baptism, after you heard the voice of God calling you as the body of Christ, now the ball is in your court. God did, God did, now it's your turn. God expects us to respond to that call. If you don't believe me, just ask Jonah and the disciples. We read a little bit of Jonah's story. You know Jonah's story. It's famous. It's, on, uh, it's in kids' books. It's on nursery walls all across the world in churches. The story of Jonah who was called by God to go and preach a message to the Ninevites. And what did Jonah do? He said, no, thank you. And he went the other way, caught the first ship he could find going the other way. And he tried to avoid God until he found himself in a little bit of a timeout in the belly of a great fish. He got to spend three days there thinking about, hmm, maybe I should have listened to God. Because God can be very persistent. God can be very persuasive. And so after the fish releases Jonah, we find out that God calls him a second time, Jonah. I want you to go to Nineveh and preach the message that I will give you. And this time, Jonah 
responded obediently. Now, it's kind of interesting. You contrast that with the call of the disciples that we read in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus is kind of walking along the banks of the, the lake there, and he sees some fishermen, and he calls out to them and says, Come follow me, and there is zero hesitation. They drop what they're doing, they put down their nets, and they begin to follow Jesus. And part of me, maybe part of you too, part of me says, this is almost as problematic as Jonah's response. Because if you're going to drop all of that, don't you at least want to think about how this is going to play out? I mean, who in their right mind, a rabbi walks by and says, come follow me. Who in their right mind says, see you, Dad, time to go. Wait, son, you're a fisherman. Wait, son, we've got, we're in the middle of, see you, Dad, got to go. Who in their right mind does that? Who leaves their family? Who leaves their career without question? Aren't we called to think things through before we commit to something? But that wasn't their response. Their response was to drop everything on the spot, follow Jesus. Whether you're Jonah or whether you're the disciples or whether you're somewhere in between, when God calls you, when you hear that voice of God calling to you, you must eventually respond. Now, your response could be yes, it could be no, it could be go fly a kite, it could be no thank you, it could be I'm sorry, I'm, I'm having a hard time hearing, can you speak up? You've got to respond, though, some way, somehow, you have to respond, or else God will just continue to call and call and call and call. Now, if you want to become the people of God, which is what this sermon series is called, becoming the people of God, not becoming the people of God a second time. It's just becoming the people of God. The sermon is called a second time. But we're talking about becoming the people of God. If we want to become the people of God, that response has to eventually be yes, and it has to be followed with action. It can't just be yes. You can't just stay on the couch and say, yes, got it, I'll do it. There has to be some action that follows along with that because it is in the action itself that I believe the real work of transformation begins in our own hearts. This is how we become the people of God. We're transformed from the inside out when we take that first step forward, when we say yes, whatever it is that God's calling you to do. Now, Jonah, Jonah had to learn the hard way. God does not take no very easily. God is persistent. But once he finally said yes, and he finally put his first foot into Nineveh, he began to learn about himself. And what he learned about himself, at least what I hope he learned about himself, as the readers, we learn this about Jonah. I think Jonah figured it out too. Jonah had some kind of feelings about the Ninevites, which is the reason he said no in the first place. He felt some kind of way about them. He had some kind of uh, blockage in his heart when it came to these people specifically. Now, if God had called him to go to some other place, he might have jumped at the chance, but it was the fact that it was Nineveh that he said no first. And we know this is true because when Jonah gets one day into the city, the city is three days' walk across, and he only gets a third of the way in preaching his message, and the entire city changes their mind. 
repents, put, puts on sackcloth, which is just a form of repentance, and it's a sign of repentance. And God immediately forgives them, pours out his love and his mercy and his grace upon them. And Jonah says, see, God, I knew it. I knew you were too soft. I knew you were too nice. I knew you were a God of love. That's why I didn't want to go, because I knew you would forgive these people, and I don't want to forgive them. You see, Jonah was facing his own faults in his heart. Jonah was facing the own, his own darkness in his heart, and I wonder if really that was the whole point of it anyway. Maybe it wasn't so much about the Ninevites. Maybe the whole thing was about Jonah. Jonah figuring out what needed to go away within himself so that he could be part of the people of God. Now, the disciples, they learned about themselves too, but kind of in a different way. Remember, they said yes right away, immediately. Drop the nets, leave Father Zebedee, gone. What, what happens to the boats? I mean, how much did you pay for that boat? You're just leaving that boat there? Somebody's going to steal it, right? But they just, they just up and left. But what they learned over the next three years is that following Jesus requires not just giving up your boat and your father Zebedee, it means giving up everything, everything. It, it, it comes along with a willingness to leave your career, your family, your friends. It is a willingness or at least an understanding that you will be misunderstood and criticized by your own tribe. You may face danger. You may even face death. That's what it means to follow Jesus. You see, the answer, yes to God with action, followed by the yes, is to become the body of Christ here and now. And Christ, as described in the book of Isaiah, is the suffering servant. He is the one who comes to suffer. So to be the Christ on earth, to be the body of Christ, is to become the suffering servant servant at least that's what we're supposed to do Dietrich Bonhoeffer famous theologian German theologian many of you have heard his name he wrote this famous book called the cost of discipleship you see Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a follower of Jesus in Nazi era Germany who was part of a plot to overthrow Hitler and he got caught and he was sitting in jail for a long, long time. Eventually, they killed him. But while he was sitting in jail, he wrote so many wonderful letters. And he said, you know, I signed up for this. When I said yes to Jesus, I said yes to this being a possibility. So I'm not surprised. I'm not afraid. I'm not, well, he may have been a little bit afraid. But he was not sorry that he said yes to Jesus. He was perfectly happy to be in that place. And so he wrote this book, Discipleship Costs Us Something. It, it costs us heavily. In fact, he said in that book, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Come and die. Think about that for a moment. What does that mean to you? When you hear Jesus say things like, if you want to follow me, you must deny yourself, take up your own cross, and then you can follow me. What does that mean to you? Now, it might be literal for some people, like Dietrich Bonhoeffer and all the disciples. All the disciples were martyred, all of them. 
That first line of Jesus' followers, all killed. Right? It might be literal, death. But probably more so than literal death, Jesus is talking about a metaphorical death, a, a psychological death here. I have talked about in the past the ego, the death of the ego, or as Paul likes to call it, the flesh, right? Say no to the flesh, crucify the flesh. Paul says over and over and over and over and over and over. This is some kind of a metaphysical, psychological, mental death that, that Paul and Jesus are talking about here. It, it's the notion of self that we think that we are an island unto ourselves, that we are somehow separate from God, separate from neighbor, separate from nature, and we are kind of navigating our own individual lives. It's that part of you that must die, the illusory self. Because Jesus says if you're willing to let that go, you will actually find life, and, and it's life with a capital L, eternal life, abundant life. But you've got to be willing to let this part of you go. And I think that discipleship or saying yes to Jesus when he calls and then taking that first step, because again, it's not just yes, it's yes and action. This is the chief method by which God kills off the self in us, the flesh. And if it's not killed off in this life, you better believe it will be in the next. I think that's part of what the judgment thing is all about. This idea that you, you wrestle with the part of you that just can't go into that place. And so now it's got to die. And boy, if you spent your whole life kind of building up your ego, your flesh, if you have put all your eggs in the basket of career or fame or whatever it is, and you find out that all of that is just like nothing, whew, that could be a little horrific. That could be a horrific moment. But I want you to think back on your own journey of faith. Whether you have been following Jesus for five years or 50 years, I want you to think back a year, two years, three years, five years, ten years, and ask yourself the question, have you changed since saying yes to Jesus? Are you the same person that you were the day you first said yes? Are there thoughts and beliefs and ideas that you once held deeply that you thought were so important that you now look back and go, they're not what I thought. Have you found the capacity to forgive people easier than you used to be able to? Perhaps even forgiving your enemies. Do you find that you are slower to speak and defend your point of view and more apt to listen to the other side? Do you find that you display kindness and compassion quicker than you used to? If you can say yes to any of that, that's the ego slowly dying as you follow Jesus. Small death, small death. Just a little bit of death every single day. And they naturally happen as we answer that call and we take that first step forward into discipleship. You see, last week I talked about how do you hear the voice of God? And we talked about young Samuel in the middle of the night sleeping close to the ark. And we talked about Philip, who was probably a fisherman, who was skilled in the art of uh, patience and nighttime fishing. You know, a lot of, a lot of quiet and, and patience there. 
And we talked about how contemplation and stillness probably is the key thing that enables you to begin to hear the voice of God. But, but if contemplation and stillness are that preparation to hear the voice of God, then action is what trains us in dying to self so that the voice of God continues to live on in us. And we need both. We need both contemplation and we need action. We need the Mary who sits at the feet of Jesus and soaks up his word, and we need the Marthas who are preparing the meal and preparing to serve the guests. We need them both. We need them both. Richard Rohr started a a center in Albuquerque, New Mexico called the Center for Action and Contemplation. Both. We need them both. Which is why John Wesley and that early Methodist movement insisted that if you were a part of one of his societies, you had to engage in both every single day. You had to do the inner work and you had to do the outer work. In fact, your membership was up for review at the end of the year. This is before Methodist societies were churches, right? These are just like, like holiness clubs. Like you go to church on Sunday, but during the week you're a part of the society and we're going to help you grow in your faith. And they were full to the gills with people wanting, hungry for Jesus, wanting to know how do I become the hands and feet of Jesus better in this world. And your membership was up for review at the end of the year. And if you couldn't show that you were doing both the contemplative inner work, the prayer, the reading of the Bible, uh, making sure that you're attending church, that you are participating in the sacraments, coupled with you're going to visit the sick in the hospitals, you're going to the prisons to visit the prisoners, you are teaching people how to sew that don't have any skills so that they can get a job, like you're actively working to better the lives of other people. If you couldn't show both of that, you didn't get your card renewed. You could not be a member the next year. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if we did that in our churches today? But it seemed to have the opposite effect back then. People were thrilled to be a part of this thing that was happening. It was filled with energy. It was so exciting. Thrilled. Right? John said, John Wesley said, you got to have both contemplation and action. Jesus said it this way. Two commandments. If you don't ever read your Old Testament, I can sum it up in two commandments, Jesus said. Love your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like unto it. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. Love God. That's the stillness and the contemplation. Love your neighbor. That's the action right there. Go to Nineveh and preach. Hear my voice. Go do. Action, contemplation. It's one and the same. So now I take you back to the beginning with Teresa of Avila's poem that she wrote. Christ has no body on earth now but yours, no eyes but yours, no hands but yours, no mouth but yours, no feet but yours. This is going to sound strange to say because you probably never heard it this way before. You and I are the incarnation of Christ. You realize that, right? We look at Jesus and we go, that was God in the flesh. I got something in my mouth you realize that is the same for us. 
God dwells in us. I'll show you in the Bible. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Christ lives in us. We have the mind of Christ. We have the heart of Christ. It's said in so many different ways in the Bible. You are God in the flesh. Christ now has no body on earth but yours. And Christ is calling. How will you respond to that call? How will you respond to that call? If you ignore it, it will come a second time. And if you keep ignoring it, it will come a third time and a fourth time and a fifth time because God doesn't make mistakes. When God calls you, it's intentional. Sorry, I'm moving, Ken. you got to move the camera with me. I usually stay right there. But God's call never comes. Now I'm spitballing here. God's call never, ever comes with... Um, God is patient when God calls. God knows that we need time. God knows that sometimes we're Jonah, and we don't want to face our own dislike of the Ninevites. Right? There's grace there. There was grace for Jonah. Sometimes we're like the disciples and we, we really don't put much thought into what Jesus is asking us to do. We just sign up. You know people like that, right? I'm going to sign up for every board and committee that there is. And then you find out that you're overloaded and stressed out, right? God knows that we're on this spectrum. God is gracious and kind and patient, but God probably won't take no for an answer. So if you sense God calling you, You've got a decision to make. How will you respond to that? We are becoming the people of God, which means eventually we will have to say yes. Eventually we will have to take some action. It will require something of us. Discipleship costs, and it costs a lot. But on the other side of that is life. And I know you all can testify to that. I know we could take testimony in here. And you all could say, you know, I, I gave up X, Y, and Z for God, and I was really upset about it at the time, but oh my gosh, how I've been blessed since then. I know that we have that in this room. I don't know how to end this sermon. That's it. That's it. God loves you. God loves you. Um, but God needs you. Not, not because God needs not, not because God needs anything, but God has chosen to work incarnately. God has chosen to work through humanity. That's just how God has chosen to do it. If you want to take that up with God, take it up with God, but that, that's how it's been since the very beginning. That's how it is in the person of Jesus. That is, that's how it is in the disciples. That's how it is in Jonah. God, just go to Nineveh yourself and tell them. No, I want you, Jonah, right? It's just how it is. So I hope and pray that we, we will be the people that say yes, and we won't just say yes and sit on the couch, but we'll get up off the couch and say yes, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go. And I don't maybe even know what, this, what I'm going to have to give up in saying yes, but, but I'm going to say yes. That's how we become the people of God. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. May you know that you're perfectly loved.
You're completely forgiven. Nothing's being held against you. You're uniquely empowered. And now you're called to go out and be a disciple for Jesus in the world. Guess what? It's going to cost you something. And at times you're going to be afraid to give it up. You're going to say no at times. You're going to forget who you are. You're going to think, oh, I'm just me. And you're going to forget the power that lives in you. But even when that happens, God doesn't give up on us because God is love. So he looks at us and he says, oh, you are the best of the best of the best. And if you only knew that, that would give you everything you need to be the hands and feet of Jesus this week. So my prayer for you is that you know that to your core and that you go from this place in peace. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.